Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medella, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medella, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. I either have a cold or this is a really bad deep fake. <laughs> I'm Anna McCarthy. <laughs> Do you know what genuinely chills me? Maybe I fervently believe something that is not true. And I probably do. I'm probably guilty of that and I don't even know it. Like, what have I defended in my life that is simply false? Or worse, what have I defended that is indefensible? You know, that is a mortifying thought. Yeah, it shakes me to the core when I'm disabused of myths that I believed were true. Like that people's names got changed at Ellis Island, for example. Or something, you know, way more serious, like saying there's a human trafficking ring let out of the basement of a pizza place. Yeah, like that. Which we're going to talk a bit about, all in good time, because the name of the game today, it's lies. Some of the most brazen acts of voter fraud to date. Sworn affidavit saying people are forging signatures. Growing examples and, frankly, affidavits of ballot irregularities and outright illegality. Tampering allegations to the, the dead people voting. We don't know how many votes were stolen on Tuesday night. We don't know anything about the software that many say was rigged. We don't know. We ought to find out. This is Civics 101. I'm Hannah McCarthy. I'm Nick Capodice. And today we are talking about one of the most insidious and uncontainable obstacles facing any American who wishes to vote their conscience in this year's midterm election. We're talking about misinformation. And just to be crystal clear, because sometimes I feel like the word misinformation actually sort of skirts the truth of the matter. Misinformation is false information. Like you said, lies. Okay, I did use the word lies, and honestly, that was a little misinformation-y, because in truth, doesn't a lie imply intention? Yes, a lie implies an active choice. There is an intent to mislead somebody else. So misinformation is actually a little bit different. I'm going to take a second to just set up some definitions first. So I'm going to use both misinformation and disinformation during these podcasts. This is Samantha. My full name is Samantha Lai, L-A-I. I am a research analyst at the Brookings Institution Center for Technology Innovation. Okay, and I've heard the term disinformation, but I've always pretty much equated the two, misinformation and disinformation as being kind of the same thing. These are slightly different terms. So misinformation refers to false information that people might promote or spread, not intentionally to deceive someone because often a lot of us might see things on the internet and think that it's real, but turns out it's not. Disinformation, however, people who spread it often spread it intentionally to deceive people. So that's the key difference between these two terms. So disinformation is the lie part of the information chain. Correct. And probably the bad actor part, especially when it comes to elections. Disinformation is the purposefully misleading statement or claim that is conjured up and shared in order to make people believe something other than the truth. 
and often to make them believe it fervently. So when that has to do with an election, the end goal tends to be to influence the election's outcome. Okay, and then misinformation is when other people encounter that disinformation lie and spread it around thinking it's actually real. Yeah, believe it's real or, or think that maybe it has some credence to it or, it, you know, it sort of smacks of truth. That is the simple, ugly way that it works. There are a couple kinds of disinformation that bad actors can post to confuse or discourage voters. So one approach would be to spread false information on voting dates and polling locations. So for example, during the 2020 elections, a tweet on Super Tuesday targeted supporters of Kentucky candidate Matt Bevin and said inaccurately, Bevin supporters don't forget to vote on Wednesday, November 6th, which is the day after the election. And that wasn't a mistake. Nope. And I'll take it that tweet wasn't from the people who wanted Bevin elected. You take it correctly. This tactic comes in many forms. It's subtle. Tweaking a single piece of information, often in a way that seems helpful, in an attempt to keep people away from the polls. Sometimes it's, hey, text this number to vote by text. You text that number your vote, you probably get a, your vote has been submitted, good for you, text back. Easy, it's done. Now, I want to make very clear, right here, right now, that there is not a state in the nation that permits voting by text. This is not real. You may also see news that, you know, candidate X has dropped out of the election last minute. Oh, what a shame. Or candidate Y has already won. There's no need to vote. All of it is made up. All of it designed to keep you from voting. Another approach here in terms of messaging is intimidation, which often primarily targets historically marginalized groups. So this includes threats of people bringing guns to the polls or law enforcement presence at polling places. So for example, before the 2018 elections, ICE had to publicly refute rumors on social media that they would be conducting enforcement operations at polling places. We also have messaging exploiting common doubts, particularly among Black and Latino voters, on the efficacy of the political process. So this can include messages on how the system doesn't work for you, your vote doesn't matter, and other attempts to just disenfranchise voters of color. And this echoes interference strategies deployed in 2016 by the Kremlin-backed Internet Research Agency, who disproportionately targeted African Americans during their interference in the 2016 U.S. presidential elections. I feel like you covered this in our episode on election security. There's a difference between how messed up the system actually is and how messed up bad actors want you to believe the system is. And like Samantha said, for many people or groups, this type of disinformation is specifically designed to play on totally legitimate and experience-based fears and concerns. Because you have to have some doubt in order to be convinced. Like, If I looked at you and was like, did you know that the sky is actually green? You would simply say no, because you can verify with your own eyes. That is not the case. Misinformation, the reason was what makes it so effective. It's because it exploits people's common doubts and common fears. For example, looking at misinformation targeting historically marginalized groups, why is it so effective and why is it so devastating and why is that a civil rights concern? Because historically marginalized groups have been historically disenfranchised and there are a lot of narratives that also carry some grain of truth in it in sense of their underrepresentation. In other words, disinformation aimed at discouraging groups who already feel discouraged about voting. Exactly. Voters who are in seemingly gerrymandered districts or for whom it is difficult to obtain an ID or to get time off work, or to even make it to their polling place, 
or, you know, people who have to stand in absurdly long lines. These are chronic, real obstacles. And bad actors will exploit this sense that those voters have of being disenfranchised. Disinformation will say, you know what, you're right, and it's worse than you think. Why don't you just stay home? We see right now that there's a heightened level of distrust towards our government, towards news agencies. There's a lot of resentment and polarization where you have people turning to alternative news sources, not trusting mainstream news sources that allows misinformation and disinformation to thrive because of a lot of fears and uncertainties people have about how what is actually going on. It's so insidious, Hannah. This idea that you might be targeted with disinformation that carries a grain of truth, and then that little grain of truth is rooted in historic disenfranchisement. Right, among groups of color, groups who might have barriers to physically accessing the polls. Now, I want to introduce someone here. This is Peter Adams. You can introduce me as the either the head of research and design at NLP or the senior vice president of research and design. NLP? The News Literacy Project, which is a company entirely dedicated to teaching people how to separate fact from fiction. So those people who already feel underserved by the system, they are going to be increasingly vulnerable as we near Election Day. Someone telling you that you know, your, your vote's going to be changed or lost uh, or subverted if you vote by mail... And that's a particularly pernicious rumor because it winds up disenfranchising people who maybe can't vote that day, decide not to vote by mail, or they think they're going to vote on Election Day and they don't make it to the polls. Um, There are also rumors that, you know, localized rumors, like the the lines are impossibly long at this polling place when they're not. You know, just view all that with a grain of salt. There are bad actors out there who will try to dissuade people from voting, targeting certain districts that, that... tend to vote one way or another and trying to dissuade people in that district from even turning out in the first place by circulating rumors. So just don't take election information from social media uh, and, you know, do your very best to to vote on Election Day, I think, is, is sound advice. All right. That is sound advice. And I want to talk about social media in a minute here, Hannah. But what about the other kind of lie? Like, not the lie designed to further disenfranchise marginalized groups, but the lie designed to stoke a different kind of fear and anger. Yeah, well, let's start with a major fear and major anger. One that plays on the deepest sense of good and evil. In 2016, just before the presidential election, a conspiracy theory made its way around social media, claiming that several people high up in the Democratic Party were running a human trafficking ring out of several restaurants. One of these was a pizzeria called Comet Ping Pong. There are lots of stories about people losing loved ones to QAnon beliefs um, that are, you know, entirely baseless. But, you know, I think that the incidents like the one in Cincinnati um, or, you know, at Comet Ping Pong um, back in 2016, I think the, the pizzeria in Washington are tragic and and alarming and good reminders that even though they're not exceedingly common, that this kind of stuff is is very serious, right? It can result in people taking real action. Edgar Welch, who went to the pizzeria based on QAnon falsehoods, right, thinking that there was uh, something nefarious happening in the basement there when, in fact, there's no basement in the building, you know, brought a rifle, shot it once, and figured out there was no basement and surrendered. 
was much more tragic in Cincinnati, right? But this person took action at an FBI office based on something they believe about, you know, the recent uh, raid on Mar-a-Lago. A deadly end to a standoff in Clinton County. This story started hours earlier at 915 in Sycamore Township. Police say a man tried to break into the FBI building. You know, again, I think these are reminders of how serious it can be, but we shouldn't lose sight of the everyday impact on ordinary folks who sort of fall down rabbit holes with the best of intentions, looking for answers, trying to interpret complex realities, but they fall for for simplified narratives. Um, Conspiracy theories are very attractive because they give people kind of a good, bad version of the world. As complicated as they can be, they're very simple at their base. That is an interesting point because conspiracy theories can be wildly complicated. In this case, it wasn't just a non-existent trafficking ring in a non-existent basement of a pizza joint. It was a Hillary Clinton-run trafficking ring. So what the theory did was take the person who many people politically and socially disagreed with and made that person pure, unadulterated evil. Disagreeing is nuanced. It's how we do politics. Condemning evil is not. They're very simple at their base, right? There are bad people trying to just, you know, dupe everyone and um, subvert our democracy is basically the the storyline of QAnon. And it's attractive to think that, that things are that simple and that there's some, you know, enemy cabal that you could that you could just root out. But the reality is much messier. So what about other examples of conspiracy theories like a stolen election or even the idea uh, of a poll worker tampering with ballots or widespread voter fraud? These are still examples of conspiracies born of disinformation, which is then followed by the spreading of misinformation. And a lot of them involve being unhappy with election results and or not understanding how elections work. Lo and behold, the simple answer is provided to you on a silver platter. The disinformation that vindicates you and gives an appealing explanation for why things seem a certain way. I think, you know, the biggest concern is just just misperceptions about fraud or misrecognized things that are totally normal parts of, of elections being perceived as fraud because people have now been primed to believe that fraud is common when it's not. Just make sure your vote gets counted. Make sure because the only way we're going to lose this election is if the election is rigged. Remember that. They are primed to believe it's easier to pull off than it is. Um, And it has an impact on election workers. It has an impact on people who might be um, designated agents who deliver ballots to boxes from, say, nursing homes, who might be confronted by people who have decided they're going to monitor those boxes for anyone dropping more than one ballot. And Peter says you also have to consider the motivation of the bad actor, the person at the top of the disinformation to misinformation pipeline. Of all the allegations of improprieties, none of them were really borne out by evidence. You know, case by case by case, especially in, I mean, again, these tended to cluster in swing states, right? So number one, that was an attempt to to sort of move electoral votes in key places. There's zero evidence at the end of the day that there was any kind of significant voter fraud that could come anywhere close to changing the, the outcome in, in any given state, much less the election overall. All the audits that have taken place, all of the reviews, all of the accusations uh, have all come to naught. I mean, the evidence is just not there, and, and evidence matters. And all of this 
accusations of tampering, of destruction of ballots, of devious poll workers, etc. Peter says it's coming for us again in 2022. You know, most experts who are looking at election disinformation believe that we're just going to see a lot of the same narratives get pushed because they've now taken root almost as conventional wisdom among among some folks. And so they're still very effective. All right. So we've got bad actors with appealing ideas running rampant. And you're telling me it only gets worse around an election. So what are we supposed to do? What, what are we supposed to look for? How do we separate the lies from the truth? That's coming up after the break. But first, we cannot tell a lie. We need you. No, really, we do. Civics 101 is public radio. It's yours. It's your radio. And we're sustained by the public, which is you. If you have some spare change and a willing heart, head on over to civics101podcast.org and click the donate button to contribute to the show. Or just click the link in the show notes. It doesn't just keep us going. It tells us you're out there and this show means something to you. Buying a master mechanics tool set usually means high prices, higher interest rates, and who knows how many years of monthly payments. But at GearWrench, we don't believe that your tools should take years and years to pay for. So check out Mega Mod Master Sets, the master mechanics tool sets that deliver pro-quality tools, organized storage solutions, an easy-to-use lifetime warranty, and much, much more. All for thousands less than you'd expect. So don't wait. Explore the sets and check availability now. Only at GearWrench.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hey there, everyone. Hey, folks. The whole Civics 101 team is here in D.C. for a week. That's why you hear cars and stuff whizzing by. Uh, we are in the district to talk to the people that we talk about on a daily basis. And a lot of those people work in the executive branch. That is the largest employer in the world. And a lot of those people work in the civil service where, after the assassination of James Garfield, it's a long story, they take an exam to make sure that they are the right person for their job. But if you run a business and you're not the federal government, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all, but to match instead. With Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 23 hires are made on Indeed every minute, and their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use it, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash civics. Just go to Indeed.com slash civics right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash civics. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. We're back. This is Civics 101, and we're talking disinformation and misinformation. Which, as Samantha Lai told us earlier, disinformation is the lie purposefully spread by a bad actor who's trying to interfere with things, and misinformation is what we call other people spreading that lie, often believing it's true or thinking, huh, this sounds like it could be true. One is an evil act. The other is relatively innocent. A lot of this, Nick, it is, of course, going down on social media. Speaking of Samantha, here she is again. Social media is a wild, wild west. So even really drawing the line, sometimes it's really hard. Like maybe the first person who posted this intended for this to be disinformation and the other people spreading it 
are misinformed and they don't intend to deceive people, but they very genuinely believe that this is the case. So it's a little bit of both in a lot of cases. It's often kind of hard to be completely clear about how it happens, but both can be damaging and hurtful and could mislead people into making certain decisions or not showing up on the right day to vote, and that's a problem. And here's Peter Adams from the News Literacy Project again. Influencers will take individual incidents or make a claim, and that will spread down to their followers, obviously, and those followers then look for that, right? So if you're following somebody with, uh, who, who's massively influential on social media and they say this is happening at polling places, you may go to polling places and look for that. Um, but also people who provide that at the grassroots level and share it those are filtering up and having an influence on the influencers. So it's not just a top-down influencer to people on the ground dynamic, it's also folks in polling places all across the country creating videos that are then filtering up and forming these sort of false evidence collages, if you will, on the part of of influencers who then strengthen their, their false claims and convictions. So there's a whole ecosystem of sustaining and growing the lies, like a little garden. And the kind of lie you run into? It has all to do with what corner of the internet you inhabit. For example, I am a certain type of millennial, so I am on Instagram. And Instagram has figured out that I will engage with content involving East and South Asian cooking, uh, running, and moody bodies of water during the fall. What? So I get a lot of information specific to say, dumpling recipes, uh, running posture, and where to camp in New England. So it feels like I am an expert on that niche. But in actual fact, I have no idea whether these people are cooks, running experts, or have ever been camping. I think I know a lot because I consume their content. But what's the source of that information? There are a lot of people who sometimes believe certain things because they're like, oh, I've seen this on social media 20 times, 30 times. It's not just one thing. And that's Another problem altogether with just the information ecosystem at large, where you can be very solidly convinced, or because of the way social media algorithms work, they give you what you generally want to see, that you end up seeing a lot of the same content. So you might end up doing as much research as you would for buying a new computer. And as far as you're concerned, you're doing a lot of research. But if you're stuck in a certain corner of the internet, that experience can be very, very different from someone else. And then you, Hannah, rather innocently, might go out and tell people how to make their dumplings and run around and where to find the best lakes. But it could literally be the worst advice ever. Yeah. And I've actually, I've probably done that, honestly. The same goes for election information, except in that case, it is far, far more likely to be purposeful disinformation that you are consuming. Because so many people stand to gain from influencing who votes, and who gets elected. Welcome to the Washington Week Extra. I'm Robert Costa. The role of social media in the 2020 election has come under scrutiny as bipartisan voices have sought to address the spread of disinformation on their platforms. Democratic presidential- And that disinformation will seek you out based on what the social media platform knows about you. It's all about that algorithm. These algorithms collect a lot of data about your online activity, your browsing activity, purchasing history, location data, how long you spend on, like everything. So in terms of micro-targeting, when someone like a campaign or even like a commercial actor sets up an ad campaign, you can choose certain things that you can target someone with. So for example, zip code, gender, 
so on and so forth. Peter reminded me, as obvious as it may seem, what social media is. It is a by and large free platform that monetizes engagement, designed to get instant reaction. As in, hey, oh, cool, running tip, I'll take that and I'll share that. And then instant scrolling, done with that tip, onto the next. See the stuff you like, engage, go scroll for more stuff you like. Like, engage, scroll. Like, engage, scroll. A little fraud here, a little ballot stuffing there. You know what they say, Hannah. If something's free, you're the product. That's their business model. It's what they do. But it can be sort of invisible, right? We can sort of lose track of, of how that all works. And it's tempting to like and share recklessly or too quickly. And it's also easy to think, well, this is just a tap on a screen, right? It's a like, it's a share. I'm not, you know, and I think a lot of people share things that they're, they're sort of thinking, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but, you know, whatever, it's interesting. It might be true. The downstream effect of that, two, three, four layers out, you share with someone who shares with someone and they take action based on something that's false, you know, can, can have a real uh, impact. Good morning, Robin. This case shows how fake news can lead to a dangerous situation. Edgar Welch, 28, of Salisbury, North Carolina, has been arrested and charged with assault with a dangerous weapon. And police say that Welch told them that he showed up at the D.C. pizza restaurant to get to the bottom of what appears to be an utterly bogus story about child abuse promoted on the Internet. How scary was the situation? He allegedly pointed the gun in the direction of an employee and fired the weapon inside the restaurant. I'm thinking too, Hannah, about the disinformation that looks and sounds real. Like a step beyond the clickbaity meme or headline, the picture or the video of something happening. That kind of thing must be harder to be skeptical about. We're all sort of evolutionarily hardwired to believe our senses, to believe what we see and hear, it, it can be hard to resist that, that allure, especially if you're inclined to, to believe that or, or you want to believe it already. You know, video-based evidence or photographic evidence that feels compelling and feels convincing um, often may not be, especially when it's from a user-generated source. Sometimes it's a real undoctored image or video with a misleading caption. Sometimes it is a little more than that. Deep fakes, which use artificial intelligence technology, or even just basic video editing, like anything to like make images or videos of fake events that haven't actually happened with politicians' faces like put on them. And you can see how that would cause, that would enable the spread of fake information. I'm going to show you some magic. It's the real thing. <laughs> I mean, uh... It's all the real thing. <laughs> it looked a lot like Tom Cruise, but it was not Tom Cruise. He's not in that video in any way. It's what's called a deep fake. And it doesn't stop at deep fakes. There are the bots. Bots and trolls. So bots are automated and trolls are real users and they can just generally be used to spread fake news about candidates or election details. There's the geofencing. The what? Geofencing. So how this works is that when a mobile device enters or exits a virtual boundary set up around a geographical location, that information will be collected. So if you have physically one in and out of a place and it has, there's like a virtual boundary set, they will know that you have 
been there. So that technology was used um, for the 2020 elections by a private company called Catholic Vote, which set up this boundary around a church to target churchgoers with pro-Trump messaging. Oh yeah, and then there's, you know, every other way people can influence you. There are TV networks, there's radio, there are podcasts on Spotify, depending on the social groups people are in, depending on their personal experiences and the communities they live in. All of this interacts together in a perfect storm, which is why it's incredibly difficult to disassemble in some ways. Even in a perfect world where we can suddenly take down all COVID-related misinformation, for example, from the internet, just like press a magic button, get rid of all of it. There are still going to be anti-vaxxers. There are still going to be people who might not believe that COVID is real because of who they are. So really all of this is not just a question of social media content regulation. It's also about people and the way we think, which is what makes this both so worrying and so fascinating. All right, Hannah, you have thoroughly flooded this episode with your information campaign. That's my job. Now, give me the antidote. What are we supposed to do about misinformation and disinformation? In terms of on a personal level, what you can do, I think, to inoculate yourself against mis- and disinformation is to first keep in mind that confirmation bias is a thing. We're all people. We have opinions. We are all vulnerable to thinking certain ways, especially if we see certain information that aligns with our worldviews. So it's like whenever you see something online that you're like, oh my gosh, like before spreading it, take a second, take a look, Google it, see if any other reputable news source has reported on it. If it's a one-off tweet or if it's a meme, make sure to double check and see who else is talking about this. And you can kind of tell from who else is talking about this and who else is reporting on this what's going on there. Another useful part, especially in the context of voting, is always relying on official information on government websites as to details of where you're going to vote, what's open, what's closed, what are the hours. Don't rely on someone else's information. Always make sure to go back to the source and always recognize that every source has a motive to convince you of something. Which I'll acknowledge is more work. It is more work than scrolling and liking and sharing and consuming exactly what you're fed. Which is why I appreciate Peter's take on this. His whole thing is, hey, people are actively trying to take away your right. So isn't it worth putting in a little more work? Don't let someone sort of hijack your civic voice by misinforming you and disinforming you. You know, no one wants to be misled. No one wants to hold false beliefs. And, you know, I think we all have to be more vigilant than ever on those fronts because there are more ways for people to to try to manipulate us than ever before. And I should mention the whole point of the company that Peter works for, the News Literacy Project, is to make free resources for people who want to sift out the truth from the lies and just know the truth, especially leading up to the election. We're going to put a link to that in the show notes and on our website civics101podcast.org, so you can prepare ye. I feel like there's an elephant in the room here, Hannah. Can we make it like a non-political animal? I feel there's a right whale here in the room, Hannah. Let's talk about it. Disinformation, misinformation, social media targeting, geofencing. Now, it sounds like these are effective vaccines we can all access, but what about just eradicating the disease itself? Because there are no data privacy laws, 
anything and everything you do on the internet can be collected. And there are data brokers who are buying massive amounts of information about your address, your online activity, your purchasing history, every, everything that's out there. On June 21st, 2022, the Data Privacy Act was introduced in Congress. Now, this bill doesn't say no more lies on the internet, everybody, because yeah, right. But if passed, it would limit the way businesses can use your information, allow you to opt in or opt out, revise or delete collected information, among other things. And then how does our government in practice actually help to stop election lies? There are a couple government agencies dedicated to combating dis and misinformation. Most of this was pretty recent. There is the U.S. Department of State's Global Engagement Center that proactively monitors and addresses foreign adversaries' disinformation attempts. The Department of Homeland Security's Cyber and Infrastructure Security Agency during the last 2020 election cycle did invaluable work protecting America's election infrastructure and finding ways to centralize information and make sure to keep tabs on what kind of rumors and misinformation is going on. Earlier this year, there was a the creation of the Very Short-Lived Disinformation Governance Board, whose work was put on hold after a public backlash. We have Congress that's also working hard on bills to combat social media algorithms, amplification of fake news, taking, for example, the Banning Micro-Targeted Political Ads Act, the Social Media Nudge Act, calls to reform Section 230. A lot of these are still in progress because there's a lot of bipartisan disagreement over the definitions of disinformation and who should be the one to say what is and is not disinformation. So that's another can of worms altogether. But there is work being done. So the agencies are being created. Nonprofits are addressing the problem. The public is constantly being warned about disinformation from those who are fighting the good fight. There are conversations happening about how to handle dis and misinformation. What I find really interesting about all of this, Nick, is that these disinformation campaigns wouldn't work unless people really cared about these issues, really cared about politics, really cared about elections. And that's the tricky thing. Because from where I stand, getting people to care can be half the battle. I don't see it as a bad thing that people care. People want to share important things with friends and family. So Elections are important. Politics are, you know, very polarized right now. People are hyper engaged and, and paying a lot of attention to to these these races and their hometowns. And it's good for people to want to be civically engaged. But, you know, again, have to be really careful that, you know, civic engagement only works if we have a common set of facts. And, you know, civic engagement is really driven uh, authentically by accurate information so that everybody can, can make authentic civic decisions for themselves, for their family members, and for their community. There might not be a lot that all of America agrees on right now, but, but deep down, I think I can safely say we are all Holden Caulfield when it comes to being lied to. Nobody likes a no-good phony. Or wants to be one, for that matter. Fortunately, the truth is out there. But it probably isn't on Instagram. Or TikTok. TikTok's too much for me. I've accepted slow descent into the out of 
tech touchery, and I'm fine with it. Has it occurred to you, Nick, that there are social media platforms out there that neither of us even know exist? This may be the only time I'm going to say this on the show, Hannah, but sometimes ignorance is bliss. This episode was produced by me, Hannah McCarthy, with help from Nick Capodice. Our senior producer is Christina Phillips. Our producer is Jackie Fulton. Rebecca Lavoie is our executive producer. A very special thanks to Retro Report, who has been partnering with us throughout this midterm series. We're working together on a Teach the Midterms webinar coming up on Wednesday, September 14th. You can check that out and register at RetroReport.org. Music in this episode by Anna Moya, Spring Gang, Newell Teal Records, Holiznico, Kirk, Osamayo, Meter, and Martin Clem. You can get the transcript for this episode and listen to, well, everything else we have ever made at Civics101podcast.org. Civics 101 is a production of NHPR, New Hampshire Public Radio. The story where the call was coming from your own house? <laughs> that's never, I mean, like, it's never really. Oh, actually, there was this one time I was on AIM, AOL Instant Messenger, and my friend made up a fake screen name and pretended that she was someone who was seeing me inside. Oh, that's freaky. The computer room. <laughs> I don't have that. That's too creepy. Let me think, what else chills you to the bone? Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley, in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.